Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this evening and turning to the book of Joel, the third chapter of the book of Joel. One third of your Bible is prophecy. Understanding those prophecies brings great blessing. And the book of Joel is one of those treasure books that seldom is considered, but when considered, uh, yields fruit that really is satisfying to the soul. We're in the book of Joel this evening, the third chapter of the book of Joel, and our focus begins in verse 1 where we read, For behold, in those days, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. They have cast lots for my people, and given a boy for an harlot, sold a girl for wine, that they may drink. Yea, and what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Palestine? Will you render me a recompense? If you recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? Because you have taken my silver and my gold, and have carried into your temples my goodly, pleasant things. The children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians, that you might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither you have sold them, and will return your, your recompense upon your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords. You may have looked at the headline of the outline this evening and thought, that's a typo. No, this is the opposite of what you read in the book of Isaiah, the book of Micah. Here the counsel is, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears, verse 10. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and all the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. This is one of those passages that you read in your personal devotions, and you go away through the day going, what was that? But it's one of those passages when you settle yourself into it and consider it thought upon thought you discover that it interfaces with so many other passages in God's Word. It gives to us a clear picture of what God prophesied the future of the earth to be. Way back in 1984, President Ronald Reagan brought up the topic of Armageddon. Some of us are old enough to remember those conversations. When Ronald Reagan brought up the topic of Armageddon, of course, the news media went wild. How dare this president talk about something that is so speculative? Not only did the news media go wild, but there was a group called the Charistic Institute, an ecumenical group, 
who gathered together clergymen from around the world and over 100 signatories, 100 signatories signed on to say it was a speculative, wild, and dangerous for the President of the United States to talk about something under the heading of Armageddon. Most of us in this room this evening have heard about Armageddon. But most people, when they hear about Armageddon, do not immediately think, oh, the book of Joel. But you should. This evening, as we open our Bibles to the book of Joel, the third chapter, we're going to discover that this chapter is a headline chapter when it comes to our understanding of Armageddon. In fact, according to the prophecies of God's Word, the greatest war in the history of the world is yet to take place. There are rumors flying right now as we gather here about World War III. What's happening with Russia and Ukraine? What's happening with China and Taiwan? What's happening with North Korea? What's happening with Iran and their ability to put together uh, nuclear bombs? Israel's unwillingness to allow them to have those nuclear bombs? Are we standing on the precipice of a nuclear holocaust? Really good question. You know what you discover in God's Word? The reality is the greatest burden ought to be the battle that's coming, and the battle that's coming is the powers of earth against the powers of eternity. The great battle that God forecast is the battle between man and God. And the armies of the earth will ultimately be gathered together against God in a place that we know as Armageddon. Joel is talking about that as we open our Bibles to the book of Joel. He's talking about that ancient battlefield, that historic plain or valley of Jezreel where Deborah and Barak and Gideon and Saul and Ahaziah and Josiah once fought where the nations of the world will one day gather together. Revelation, the 19th chapter, describes that gathering together, describes Jesus Christ coming from heaven on a great white horse with the armies of heaven attending with him to that great battle of Armageddon. I've stood there over the valley of Jezreel quite a few times, and some in this room have traveled with us to Israel and seen that great plain that stands out as you stand on the hill of Megiddo, and look round about. Napoleon stood there, and Napoleon Bonaparte said, it's likely the greatest battlefield on the planet. Well, that battlefield has a destiny. You'll recall that the book of Joel has as its theme the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not the day of Christ. It's not the day of man. We're living right now in the day of man. The Apostle Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and he says, with me it's a small thing to be judged of you or of man's judgment, literally of man's day. The day of Christ, that has to do with Christ and his church. That has to do with the rapture. It has to do with the great assembly of the bride of Christ in heaven when we assemble before the marriage supper of the Lamb. The day of the Lord... The day of the Lord has to do with God sovereignly intervening in the affairs of mankind. The day of the Lord comes, I believe, it begins with the rapture of the church. So it starts with the tribulation. The day of the Lord moves from that darkness of the tribulation into the light of the millennial kingdom. And it ends when the lights go out at the end of the millennial kingdom and all the world has rebelled once again against God. 
So you remember that the pattern of God's Word is a day starts with the darkness. The night and the day were the first day. The pattern of Genesis is the pattern of prophecy. And so as we open to the book of Joel, we see that pattern. We're going to see the darkness. And at the end of the book of Joel, the third chapter, we see the light dawning. You'll remember that the outline of this book is fairly simple. The first chapter deals with current events. The locusts had come and had eaten up the land of Israel. The second chapter of the book of Joel has to do with coming events. Whether it be the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Grecians, another army is going to be coming. It had not happened when Joel was written, but each of these chapters follows the same pattern. The pattern is darkness that's followed by light. An invasion that inspires intercession, which brings about intervention. That's the chapter-by-chapter pattern. An invasion, locusts, Intercession, people pray, Lord, relieve us from this terrible time of famine. Intervention, God intervenes and reestablishes. Chapter 2, same pattern. A real literal army from the north is predicted, an invasion, followed by that intercession, call for the trumpets to sound, and a fast is called and prayer is had, and after the prayer is had, God intervenes. Same thing with chapter 3. But chapter 3 is dealing with the consummation. Chapter 3 is dealing with what I think you're going to see with me tonight is Armageddon. Charles Feinberg writes, No prophet of the Old Testament has a more important revelation of the end times than the one now before us in the third chapter. Joel 3 predicts that the Gentiles will beat their plowshares into swords. That's verse 10. You know, when you go to the United Nations in New York City, Outside of the United Nations, there's a statue with a man leaning on a bent sword and a citation under that statue that says they will beat their swords into plowshares. Well, this passage in verse 10 says, beat your plowshares into swords. And we'll see who is being instructed to do such a thing. Joel predicts the Gentiles will beat their plowshares into swords and gather them in the valley, verse 14, the valley that's called the valley of decision. Not a decision being made by the multitudes. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Might sound like a good evangelistic message. That is not at all what the 14th verse means. God has made his decision. God's decision is to pour out his judgment upon those multitudes that are now in the valley that's called in Joel chapter 3, the valley of decision. And So we note that a careful consideration of Joel 3 answers many questions about the battle of Armageddon. I don't know about you, but there are times when it seems like the Lord opens a window and causes me to shudder a bit as we realize the times in which we're living. Last week I heard a news report that the Israelis were preparing to somehow wipe out the nuclear preparations of Iran. You wonder who gets that information and how does it get spilt out into the normal media so that a peon like me would hear it? The answer is, I think somebody probably from the Pentagon or from the Biden administration spilled it out because there's intercommunication between uh, the departments that watch over such uh, movements of espionage. Yes, I think Israel is looking toward getting rid of the Iranian nuclear armaments. After all, they have threatened to push Israel into the Mediterranean to wipe them out. They call them the little Satan, and America the big Satan. I remember back in 1993, 
I was in Washington, D.C. at a Christian schools meeting, and President Clinton was in the Rose Garden with Arafat of the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Army, and the Prime Minister of Israel, and they were signing in the Rose Garden a kind of a peace treaty between Israel and the PLO. And I think I called my wife that day. I know I was thinking that day, wonder if this is it. I wonder if the rapture is going to happen. I'm going to be taken up from Washington, D.C., and she's going to be somewhere else. I don't know if that would be a bummer or not. I don't think it would be the first thing on my mind on the way up. Uh, where, what, what part of the country are all my family members in as they go up? I'm just concerned that they're all going up at the same time. Amen? But sometimes we get those kind of premonitions and thoughts. When we talk about Armageddon, everybody has a picture in their mind, right? Armageddon's a big concept that we've thought about likely for quite some time. Well, the book of Joel opens up God's picture of Armageddon and helps us to understand when the nations will gather. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 predicts that the world's final military engagement will come when God shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. So we read, For behold, in those days and in that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. How many nations? All of them. When? When God has gathered together Jerusalem, or Judah rather, and Jerusalem. So, prior to Armageddon, we have this prophecy. Israel must be regathered. Israel must be regathered. And the Old Testament warns that Israel will be scattered and regathered. When they sin, God will scatter them. And God in His grace will preserve them. So let's look at that prophecy. Come back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4. And we'll scan some of these prophecies very quickly in this pattern that God gives. Deuteronomy chapter 4, God warns that Israel will be scattered when they sin. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you, and make you a graven image of the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and you shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image in the likeness of anything, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that you shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto you shall go over Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations. You will be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. What did God say? Worship idols, I will scatter you. So today as we meet in this place, there are a lot of Jews living in Israel. But it hasn't been that way for very long. Next to Israel, the number two greatest population of Jews on the planet today is New York City, exactly, Brooklyn. Greatest population of Jews outside of Israel. When you stand in the Holocaust Museum in Israel and they go through how many Jews were in Belgium and how many Jews were in Germany and how many Jews were in Poland and how many Jews were in all these different parts of the world, including the Netherlands and Holland and how they were rounded up. The question ought to go through your mind, how did they all get there? That's not where they're from. The Jews are from Judea. 
That's their homeland. How did they get there? God scattered them. But God makes this promise to the Jews when He scatters them. He promises to preserve them. The book of Ezekiel chapter 12. The book of Ezekiel chapter 12. Though He scatters them, they will never completely be annihilated. Unlike the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the other ites that are out there, not the Jews, Ezekiel chapter 12 Verse 15, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter thee among the nations and disperse them in the countries. I will leave a few men of them from the sword, from the famine, from the pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the heathen, whether they come, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I will leave a few men of them. Jeremiah gives us the promise that as long as the sun and the moon are shining in the heavens, the Jews will be. They will never be completely annihilated. But my, the diasporas, the scatterings that they have gone through. And in those scatterings, God preserves them. One of the great proofs of the Bible is the survival of the Jewish people. And when you go to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah tells us what happens when the Jewish people cry out to the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 1, Ezra and Nehemiah chapter 1. Look what happens. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8 Nehemiah is reminding God in prayer of his promise through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy when he says in verse 8, Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you return to me, or turn to me, and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather thee, or gather them from thence, I will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. Let me just say it this way. The regathering of Israel in the 20th century is a miraculous evidence of God's ability to keep His prophecies true. So what happened in the 20th century? Well, in 1882, there were 24,000 Jews living in Israel. 1882. In 1918, 1918, around the time of the Balfour Declaration, there were 60,000 Jews living in Israel. In 1948, there were 716,000 Jews living in Israel. In 2022, there are 7.1 million Jews living in Israel. So in 140 years, the population has grown from 24,000 to 7.1 million. And yes, it took a holocaust to get them there. But more than that, it took God to do that. God got them there. So when you read the prophecies in the Old Testament, I will scatter, I will maintain you, I will regather you. Don't forget, that's by the hand of the Lord. So back in Joel chapter 3 and verse 1, when will Armageddon happen? Well, we begin the answer by saying, in those days, in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Oh, that's now. The captivity of Jerusalem and Judah but he's speaking of more than just regathering. That verse can be translated with the word fortunes as a substitute for the word captivity. So we would read it this way, when I shall bring again the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. It's not just bringing the people back, but it's establishing them there in that land and bringing the fortunes back to Israel. The promise of God to Israel is they'll be brought back to their land and that they will prosper in that land before the final battle, before Armageddon, 
their fortunes will be reestablished in the land before the nations come in battle together against Israel. In fact, the book of Ezekiel talks about a, a great northern army coming down into Israel. And in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 11 and verse 12, it tells us why they come. You know what it says? To take a spoil. To take a spoil. So I did a quick Google search today. This was interesting. 14 Middle Eastern countries. There are 14 Middle Eastern countries. And the people of Israel today have the second freest economy of the 14 Middle Eastern countries. The least free economy in the Middle East is Iran, and the most free economy in the Middle East is the United Arab Emirates. Of the most successful countries in the world today, the most successful developing countries in the world today, of the most successful developing countries in the world today economically, Israel ranks number four. Is Israel prospering? Israel's gross domestic product, remember there are only about eight and a half million, million, million people there. Their gross domestic product is $564 billion and their per capita income is $58,000. The United States is $64,000. We are the number one economy in the world. Israel's inching up. I'd say their fortunes have been returned to them, wouldn't you? So what does verse 1 say? Verse 1 says, Behold, in those days, what days? In the time when I bring again your fortunes, I return you to the land, you're regathered and you're restored. Look out, because now we ask, so where will the nations gather? Where will they gather? Well, he says, all the nations will come down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and he will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel. The valley of Jehoshaphat, again, verse 12, let the heathen be weakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Where will they come? The valley of Jehoshaphat, which is also called in verse 14, the valley of decision. Now let me suggest something this evening. Joel is more concerned about this valley's purpose than he is about the place. There is no ancient valley anywhere in Israel called the valley of Jehoshaphat. What's Joel talking about then? Well, he's using the name Jehoshaphat, which means Jehovah Judges. And he's saying by giving it that title, multitudes, multitudes right now are in the valley of the place where Jehovah is the judge. Now, in the third or fourth century AD, Eusebius put forward the idea that the valley of Jehoshaphat is the Kidron Valley which is on the southeast of Jerusalem. But there's no ancient evidence that the Kidron Valley is the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Joel is not really concerned about the place. We can find where this place is in other texts in God's Word. Joel's not as concerned about the place as he is about what's happening there. He wants us to focus in on the purpose for their gathering. They're gathering there in verse 12 in this place where, look at the end of the verse, there, God says, will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. He brings the nations to the valley of judgment. And he will judge the nations in that place. It's a place with a purpose. And they gather, of course, in a place that's prophesied. Joel focuses on the purpose of this gathering, but other prophecies reveal to us the place 
of this end times gathering. Take your Bibles and come with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. Where will they gather? Zechariah chapter 12 helps us understand something of this end time gathering. Zechariah chapter 12, we read in verse 1, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretched forth the heavens and layeth the foundation of the earth and formeth the spirit of man within him. Zechariah 12 and verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut off from all places, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. The epicenter of the end time battle is Jerusalem. Hmm. Jerusalem in the news these days? Well, let me see. The last president of the United States did something audacious. He moved the embassy to, ah, Jerusalem. Wow. And our own Mike Pence went over there and helped dedicate the building. And the people in Israel were overjoyed because it is, after all, their ancient capital, the capital of their homeland. Yes, Jerusalem is in the news. And everyone wants to lay claim to it. Look over at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. Verse 2. I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. Not just Babylon, not just the Grecians, not just the Persians, not just the Syrians or the Assyrians. No, he's going to gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. So when he fought in the day of battle, his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Yes, there's a place prophesied. At this point, we know clearly that when all the nations are coming, they're coming against Jerusalem. We'll see even more exactly where people stage that battle, where the armies of the earth stage the battle, which will be against Jerusalem in that end times conflagration. Come back with me to Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, we're asking and answering questions about Armageddon this evening as we walk inductively, if you will, through this text. We ask the question, so why will the nations gather there? And the answer to that is because God is bringing them there. They're they're gathered together in the valley of God's judgment. Ezekiel says they gather to take a spoil. Daniel says in chapter 11 that they gather because Antichrist has signed a peace treaty, a covenant with Israel. Antichrist has the responsibility of protecting Israel and the other nations are coming against Israel. And so the whole world is going to gather there. We read of the Euphrates drying up so that China can come, the kings of the east. We read about the kings of the south that are coming up through Egypt. Of course, Antichrist being a western power is already there. The kings of the north, you read about them in Ezekiel 38. All the world's coming one day into that battle. Well, there are many prophecies that relate to the specific reasons for them coming. Joel wants us to know that they will gather to give a report. God, after all, is the one who's gathering them there. God is sovereign. And in the day of the Lord, what defines the day of the Lord is God's 
willingness to step in sovereignly, disrupting the day of man, and the calendar page turns, and now God is drawing them there. He's gathering them there to give a report. So we read in verse 2, He will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel. Who are God's people? Israel. Whom they have scattered among the nations. Now God prophesied the scattering, but he still holds these nations responsible. And they parted my land. We should always pray that America would be very careful that our politicians not recommend a two-state solution or the giving back of Israel to any other country. God holds them accountable. They parted God's land. They cast lots on my people. They've given a boy for an harlot. They're going to give a report of what they've done to God's heritage, God's people. The basis of the judgment that they're going to face is how have they treated Israel? How have they treated the Jews? Don't forget, now listen, I know it's Wednesday night, you can get tired. Don't forget, Genesis chapter 12 begins the history of the Jews. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, God makes this really clear. God says, Abraham, those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And so when we pray for the peace of Israel, we pray that our nation will always side in that direction. And that is not only found there, but it's found throughout the pages of prophecy. Here we read about the nations that are under the judgment of God. And what is the basis of their judgment? Well, how have they treated God's heritage? And don't forget that in Matthew chapter 24, as we read last week, or chapter 25, there is a gathering of the sheep and the goats together. And the sheep are on his right hand and the goats on his left hand. And he says to the sheep, come, enter into the kingdom. And they'll say, what have we done? And Jesus is going to say to them, as you've treated these my brethren, you've treated me. When you go to Yad Vashem in Israel, That's the Holocaust Museum of Israel. I mentioned this last week. On the entrance to Yad Vashem, uh, there is a planted forest, if you will. Uh, There are trees, and they are dedicated to the righteous among the nations. 27,000 trees that have been planted. Every tree has somebody's name. And the names there at the base of the trees are the names of people who helped the Jews during the Holocaust. 7,000 trees dedicated to Polish people who helped the Jews during the Holocaust. Only five Americans there among the righteous of the nations. They weren't in Europe at the time uh, to give the help that was needed. That's unfortunate. But you'll see names from even Germany. I think there are 4,000 German names among the righteous of the nations. God has a righteous among the nations too. And you read about it in Matthew chapter 25, and you read about it here. God is condemning these that he's gathered together as they give the report for how they've treated Israel, and they're about to receive their retribution. We read in verse 4, Yea, and what have I had to do do with you, O Tyre and Zidon, and all the coast of Palestine? That's modern-day Lebanon. Will you render me a recompense? And if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, will I return your recompense upon your own head? He's speaking to them about the judgment that he's going to give. Verse 7, Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither you have sold them and will return your own recompense upon your head. Verse 12, let the heathen be wakened. Come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. God is gathering them together to give a report. 
And he's gathering together for him to exercise retribution upon them. And what happens? What happens when these nations gather together? Well, the puny nations of the earth will be deceived into believing themselves to be strong. Look what's happening here. Verse 9, proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. He's talking to the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Now, we've already read that all the nations are going to draw near. I don't know about you, but if I was in the army, whether it be the United States Army or the British Army or the French Army or whatever army, and my military commanders are saying, oh, we got this assignment to go over and we're going to gather together in this, in this valley called the Valley of Jezreel. Some people call the place Megiddo. I'm probably AWOL. Uh, I, I'm running the other way. But that's not what happens. And Ronald Reagan, back in 84, was talking about Armageddon. Surely the, the thought of Armageddon has crisscrossed the globe because it's in God's Word. And yet God supernaturally is bringing these people together and they're so deceived. By the way, national deception is not a one-time occurrence. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, after the rapture, he'll send upon them a deception and they'll believe the lie. God sent a deception upon the Egyptians. God's going to send a deception in the end times. And they're all going to gather together in this place called Megiddo. And look what's happening here, verse 9. Proclaim among the Gentiles, prepare war. Wake up, you mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now, I love the song, let the weak say, I am strong. Uh, This passage is saying the weaklings, the mortals, are taking their plowshares and making their swords. I got this big sword. Come on, God. I'm strong. That's what's happening here. Not so fast. They beat their swords into, or beat their plowshares into swords and pruning hooks into spears, and the weak are saying, I am strong. Assemble yourselves. Come, all ye heathen. Gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. That's a prayer that Joel inserts into the text. And let the heathen be weakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, There God says, I will sit to judge the heathen. Put ye in the sickle. The harvest is ripe. Come, get you down from the press, for it's full. The fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. What's going to happen here? God will declare his justice. He's going to point out the sins that they've accomplished. They scattered his people, verse 2. They separated his people from their land, verse 2. They cast lots for the people of Israel. They gave a boy for a harlot. They committed sex crimes. They gave a girl for wine. They stole from Israel. Verse 5, you took my silver and my gold. You carried into your temples my goodly goodly pleasant things. They took the, the riches of the Solomonic temple to their own places. And now they're being called into account. God is going to declare his justice and God is going to demonstrate his judgment. God is always just. And sinners will receive in kind for what they've sown. God's going to set up his throne. We've read about it. For there will I sit, verse 12, to judge. And God's going to slay the wicked. The wicked are ripe for judgment, he says. And God will show himself mighty by shaking the heavens and the earth. So let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of the Revelation, the 14th chapter, and tie this up. 
Revelation chapter 14. In Revelation chapter 14, we read now something that sounds very familiar. Revelation chapter 14 and the 18th verse. Let's start in verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle. Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for the grapes are fully ripe. Does that sound familiar to you? It's exactly what Joel prophesied. And the angel thrust in his sickle unto the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it in the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the winepress even to the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. That's 180 miles, four and a half feet deep. 180 miles, the valley of Jezreel, four and a half feet deep. Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation chapter 19. As you turn to Revelation chapter 19, we read in verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought mighty miracles before him, with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped the image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh." What's Joel talking about? He's talking about Armageddon. He's talking about God shaking the heavens, even as it's spoken in Matthew chapter. In fact, let's, let's turn there and end. We could go on and on with this, but let's turn to Matthew 24 and see again how Scripture interfaces with Scripture in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. So when will this happen, this battle of Armageddon? All right, let's just read it literally. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, well, there's your answer. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. That's exactly what Joel talks about. The stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory. He will send his angels with a great sound of trumpets for his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. He's talking about a day that's coming when the heavens will be blackened and the sun will not give its light and all the nations will see him coming. And Revelation 19 says he comes upon a great white horse. Joel's talking about that day. And we ought to be looking for it. Circumstances that we see in God's Word are actually being fulfilled in our lifetimes. And we ought to be looking up. Our redemption is drawing nigh. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.